Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. Good morning. It is Wednesday, August 7th, 2019, and you are listening to the Red Sea Roundup. I want to thank everybody for joining us. I'm your host, Deacon Mike Beauvais. Today in our main segment, I'll be talking with Layla Miller. She's a Catholic writer and author whose passion is church teaching on marriage, family, human sexuality, and, well, pretty much all moral issues. She also loves to discuss culture, society, and politics, and generally from a conservative perspective. She's the author of Primal Loss, the now adult children of divorce speak, of Raising Chaste Catholic Men, Practical Advice, Mom to Mom. But today we'll talk about her latest book, co-authored with Trent Horn of Catholic Answers, Made This Way, How to Prepare Kids to Face Today's Tough Moral Issues. And it's a wonderful show. It was pre-recorded, so in the second part of the show, we can't take any phone calls. But... At the moment, we are live, so if you have something that you would like to share about your parish, please give us a call at 85-LOVE-RED-SEA. That's 855-683-7332. As always, we want to welcome everyone listening to us on KEDC 88.5 FM, Hearn Bryan College Station, and also welcome to our Central Texas listeners on KYAR 98.3 FM, Lorena Waco as well as all our listeners in Palestine on KINF 107.9 FM. This morning, I am joined by our president, Dennis Maka, who is filling in for Dr. Thaddeus Romanski, our usual station manager. So good morning, Dennis. Good morning, Deacon Mike. How are you? I am doing wonderful. You know, it's funny because uh, Thaddeus is an actual, you know, he he earned the degree doctor, but my initials are D.R. Maka. So, uh, you know. Uh, I'll start refer- referring you to as Dr. Maka. Well, I, I only on. got my master's, so you could call me master if you would uh, like. Yes, master. <laughs> no, please do not. Please do not. Good morning, Deacon Mike. It's great to be here. How is everything going for you, Dennis? It's going great. The The, the summer has been, uh, you know how it goes, both very long and very short. You yes. know, it depends on how, <laughs> I guess, your mood, but how you're looking at it. So we're uh, wrapping things up in the, the Maka household to put all three girls of ours in high school. Uh, wow. We have one school to go to. So it's been a, a fast and furious summer, and I'll be working on uh, helping the freshmen register this afternoon. So, yeah, it's... It's just surreal to think the, my baby's going to high school. So just a, God is good all the time, and he's blessed our family so much. And so uh, he's blessed us here at the radio station as well. Uh, wonderful to hear. And uh, as you mentioned, everyone's gearing back up for school. And yeah. in a moment, we're going to be talking a little bit about some of the things that are going on in St. Anthony's and okay. I'm sure going on in other parishes also. But... Uh, you wanted to mention something about our sure. Waco station. Sure. We uh, recently had a position open for our station director position there at KYAR 98.3 FM. If you're listening to the station on the air or on our app, 
You may have heard our spots already about our station director position being open. We're hoping to do our interviews in the next one to two weeks. That's our, uh, our hope for now to see if we can't hire for that position. So it's not too late. And we'll be taking applications for another couple of weeks for sure. And uh, if you want to do that, go to our website at redcradio.org and you can click on the banner that says we're hiring. Find out all about that position and uh, see if you can't turn in a letter, uh, cover letter and resume if you feel so called. And uh, again, Catholic Radio is your radio station. Yes, so it is. So if you want to keep it on the air, one of the things that you know is necessary is financial support, but also sure it, we need people to help at the station. So yeah, yeah, volunteers as well. So the the station has made a tremendous impact, and we've seen so many lives changed, lots of testimonies of of conversions and reversions uh, in the Central Texas area, in the Bryan College Station area, in East Texas. And, you know, if God calls us to expand, we'll try to step in that direction as well. And so just keep us in your prayers, and any support you can provide is also greatly appreciated. And again, uh, the first part of the show is live, so if you have something that you want to share with the listeners, either here in the Brazos Valley, in Waco, or in Palestine, give us mm-hmm. a call, 85-LOVE-RED-SEA, that's 855 683 Indeed, indeed. Uh, As I mentioned, uh, we're entering the fall and all these things that are related to education usually fire right back up. And so the same thing holds for us at St. Anthony's Parish. We have our RCIA program starting August 29th on a Thursday night at 630. And so if you know someone that is interested in joining the Catholic faith or wants to learn more about their Catholic faith, Invite them to either the RCIA program at St. Anthony's or at your home parish. Each parish will probably have their program starting about this time, except some of the parishes have a year-round program, so they're always available. But um, give it some thought. But also on uh, September 7th at 9 a.m. in the morning at St. Anthony's, we're going to do a presentation on the Mass. We're going to walk through the entire Mass and explain what's going on and what some of the hidden meaning is behind the things that we do. And everyone's invited. There's no RSVP necessary. Feel free to stop in. That's September 7th at 9 a.m. at the main church of St. Anthony's. But also, this fall, we will be having a Bible study Uh, from Ascension Press called Follow Me. It is on the Gospel of John, and uh, we offer it two times a week, once on Monday evenings and once on Thursday mornings at 10 Mm o'clock. And um, if you're interested in this, please go ahead and give us a uh, call at the church office to sign up. Uh, The cost will be $20 for the workbooks and... um, each session will be on Monday nights uh, starting at 6.45, uh, and uh, it'll go for eight weeks starting September 15th. And um, the Thursday morning sessions for the women group is at 10 a.m. That begins this Thursday. Mm-hmm. So uh, you're invited to join them. Uh, again, if you have something going on at your parish, feel free to give us a call at 85 love red C 855-683-7332. 
you know, here on Red Sea Roundup, we try to promote everything that's going on in all the communities that we broadcast. So if you have something you would like to call in briefly about this morning or in the future, we would love to even just take your messages on the uh, email or, or go to our website. But we want to be able to promote what's going on in your local parish. And so feel free to include uh, your announcements for our beginning segment in Roundup, and we would love to include that on the air as well. RCIA is coming up at every parish in the area, isn't it? Exactly. And uh, this is a good reminder because uh, while we try to keep up with what's going on in all the parishes in our local areas, we're not able to read everything. So if there's something that you would like to uh, remind our listeners of or that's going to be coming up that needs help or volunteers or just people showing up, Uh, Give us a call. Let us know what's going on, and we'll um, let everybody know. Certainly. Yeah, you can can best do that through our website by the Contact Us link and that uh, redsearadio.org. Click Contact Us, and we'll be able to get all that information via the website. Yes. Uh, One thing else that we wanted to talk about this morning is uh, we're going to usually emphasize the saint of the day. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, well, rather the week of the week of the uh, roundup. Mm-hmm. But since yesterday was the Feast of the Transfiguration, I thought we'd spend a little bit of time on it because this is one of the most fascinating events in Jesus's life because he reveals himself as God to the three disciples, mm-hmm. Peter, James, and John. And it's interesting where this happens because it happens on Mount Tabor. Mm -hmm. Uh, Last year in June, Marion and I went to the Holy Land. Mm. And one of the most beautiful places that we visited is Mount Tabor. Did you get to walk up toward the top or? We went all the way, well, uh, they drove us up. The buses take you halfway up the mountain. Taxis take you up the rest of the way of the mountain, <laughs> and then they drop you off outside of the gate of the monastery, Okay, and you walk up the rest of the way. Wow. And then you walk up, and the monastery has this beautiful basilica uh, with a main church and two separate altars, one for, of course, Elijah, yeah, and one for Moses. Mm-hmm because those are the two men that appear with Jesus at the Transfiguration. And the fascinating thing for me was looking out from the top of Mount Tabor, you see the beautiful Jezreel Valley underneath, which has been referred to as the breadbasket of Israel, because it's the most fertile part of the entire country. And it is an absolutely gorgeous view standing at the uh, top of Mount Tabor. But what I found interesting is that in the book of Jeremiah, there is actually a prophecy about the Messiah, Mm -hmm. and it says he will rise up like Mount Tabor. Mm. And uh, when I was reading this, it struck me that uh, because of the beautiful view from that mountain, and then the transfiguration and the apostles' ability to see Jesus in his transfigured state, how much that beauty overshone mm-hmm. everything oh, no. that you yeah. see from that mountain. Yeah. And so the transfiguration 
is such a wonderful reminder that no matter what we see on this in this world, mm-hmm. it doesn't hold a candle to what's to come. Yeah, and so often uh, I'm always awestruck when someone reminds me that you know they would love to go to heaven if it has beer, if it has a golf course, <laughs> if it has chocolate cake, and. My thought is always, we have absolutely no idea. (laughs) And I heard this beautiful story of someone that said that, uh, you know, someone asked him, his doctor, what happens after I die? And the doctor says, I don't know. And they heard a scratching at the door. And the doctor says, let me tell you something. He opened the door and his dog comes in and jumps up on the doctor. And he said, heaven is like this. We stand at the door, and the only thing we know is our masters on the other side. And mm. that should be the only thing we care about. It makes no difference what it looks like. Mm-hmm. It makes no difference where we are. We are going to our master. And I thought that was a beautiful image. And I think that you know the transfiguration is a glimpse at that, that we see Jesus in all his glory, and we realize that that is only a sliver of what heaven is like, but it is also a promise. It is a promise that we too will receive Mm -hmm. a glorified body, that we too will have the opportunity to be seen as we are intended to be seen. And so the transfiguration for me is a glimpse of heaven. Uh, especially having been up there on Mount Tabor and looking out and seeing how beautiful it is. But that beauty has nothing in comparison to Jesus in front of us after we reach heaven. Mm -hmm. But one other thing about the transfiguration is the presence of Moses and Elijah. Yeah. And um, again, uh, it is a glimpse of heaven because Moses died, and uh, no one knows where his body was buried. He was supposedly hidden by the angels Mm -hmm. so that people wouldn't go back and venerate the tomb of Moses. And so the reminder that Moses is present with Jesus and the reminder that Elijah, who was taken up to heaven, is a reminder that those of us who die and those of us who are at the end, have nothing to fear. We all will be rejoining Jesus in heaven. We're going to take a break, and uh, as I promised on the other side, we will be talking to Layla Miller about the book Made This Way, How to Prepare Kids to Face Today's Tough Moral Issues. We'll see you on the other side. As promised, we are going to be talking with Layla Miller, the co-author of the book Made This Way, How to Prepare Kids to Face Today's Tough Moral Issues. Uh, She's a co-author with Trent Horn. Uh, The book is excellent. Um, It discusses some of these issues that 
our kids are faced with today that people of my generation never heard discussed in public, and yet now we see it everywhere. So I want to caution our listeners that we will be talking about some topics that um, if you have young kids in the car or at home listening to the radio, that if you don't want them to even hear these topics, you might want to turn down your volume. But uh, we're going to keep it G and PG rated, so not to worry. Well, let me, uh, without further ado, introduce you all to Layla Miller. Layla, how are you this morning? I'm doing very well, Deacon. Thank you for having me. And um, what made you decide to tackle these topics? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, I noticed out there uh, in the Catholic world, Catholic parenting, Catholic moms, a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety. Um, we are living in a world that is completely different from the ones that we might have grown up in. Um, w- w- there may have been sexual immorality and things like that happening. I mean, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, um, you know, a lot of sexual immorality. But there were um, still some safeguards in the culture. TV shows and libraries and schools weren't trying to um, change the, the the basic uh, order of morality in the universe at that point, there was still some protection and some innocence out there. Now it's completely different, especially with the Internet and the real push for all the LGBTQ stuff and all that. So I decided with Trent Horn um, to write a book that would help parents get their confidence back and be able to understand that they have the obligation, the authority um, to talk to their children about these issues when appropriate and when, you know, an age in an age-appropriate way uh, to equip them to face these issues and not lose their faith and lose their souls in the process. So really, it just it seemed to fill a void because of how much fear and anxiety is out there, and we just have to get a simple tool out there for parents to be able to, to regain their confidence. And that brings up two totally different perspectives on this. One, of course, parents' reluctance to believe that they're capable of addressing this. Mm. And then on the other side, do I have the authority to talk to my kids, or do we need an expert to do this? Mm-hmm. Right. So w- a lot of people don't have the confidence because they were poorly catechized, a lot of Catholic parents. Um, they may or may not also have fallen themselves into some sexual sins, uh, and all the, the topics that we talk about in the book have to do with the use or misuse of human sexuality, so that those are the tough issues today. Um, and so a lot of times there's a lack of confidence, in the, and either parents feel like hypocrites for even talking about these issues, or they really don't have the words to describe it, and so they're at a loss, and they just feel like, I can't do it. Um, that, needs, that, that we address just by in each section, which we have 10 topics, uh, each section starts out with, what does the Church teach on this topic? And not just from Scripture, which we use, and not just from Catechism, which we use, but also from natural law. So in other words, something that even an atheist could understand, because it's based on reason, right order. Um, And so once we've easily kind of catechized on that issue, then we go into how they could then speak to their small children about it, and then how they could speak to their teens about this particular issue. So that kind of builds up a confidence, a catechesis that we need. Um, the second part, like you said, this idea that do we have the authority to do so, we, <laughs> we not only have the authority, I mean, we are given the authority by God to parent our children, but also we have the obligation, and it is, it is an obligation that we will be accountable for before God at our judgment. So we must 
it's not a question of if we want to do it or if we might be able to do it. We must form our children morally. This, this is the task that was given to parents. So we have to find um, our sea legs, you know, so to speak, and we have to do this. Why would you say natural law is so important in this conversation that we have with our kids? Right. So natural law, and just to clarify, it's a term I had never heard of but I, until I was in my 40s, frankly. Um, but I had been teaching my children in this way without knowing it. And what that means is just teaching them in a way that shows that um, the, the created order makes sense. So we use a thing according to its nature. Um, and just as people create things to have a nature, like a chair has a certain nature, you know, you sit upon a chair. Uh, you don't try to comb your hair with it. Uh, same thing with God. He created things with a certain nature, a certain purpose. And if we use things according to its nature or purpose, things tend to thrive. And if we use things, including human beings and human bodies, against their nature, things tend to not thrive. They tend to fall apart. Um, so it's easy to teach kids those types of things. Uh, you can teach, um, you know, kids understand innately when they're small that if, if you can make a joke out of it, if mommy tried to sew this, this button on with a spaghetti noodle rather than a needle, what would happen? You know, and kids would laugh and say, well, it's not going to work. Well, yeah, exactly. So kids understand. I mean, we're made to respond to what is true and what is rightly ordered. Um, so that's what natural law is. It's something that, as St. Paul said, even the pagans can understand in their hearts when they see creation, they see the way things are made. So we take that approach in the book because you don't need to just only appeal to Scripture, which is amazing and wonderful, and, uh, but, or Revelation, but your, your kids are going to be encountering people who don't care what Scripture says. They don't care what uh, Revelation said, you know, what God said to anyone. So you need to be able to approach it, as the Church has always done up until the last few decades, from also this natural law perspective of what is the nature of, of a thing. And I love the example you used of the chair because uh, I find that is so useful because so often we will take a chair and use it as a stepladder. <laughs> yes. And yet and then, that is not the function of a chair, and everybody right. can recognize that's not what the chair was made for. And mm -hmm. so when we talk about other things that we misuse, yes, we may be able to use them for that, but that's not what they were created for. Right. Exactly. And so, and, and as human beings, we are the only moral agents out there. So we actually are able to choose, well, are we going to use this thing according to its purpose or are we not? You know, and that includes our bodies. And so that's the basic, um, uh, you know, topic of our book is how do, do the human beings use, how do we use our bodies morally. You know, how did God create us? How did God create marriage? How did he create human sexuality? How did he create male and female uh, reproduction? Um, and then we go from there and say, well, gosh, you know, we can choose. We can choose to, we, we're more, again, we're moral agents. We can choose to use things against their nature or in accordance with it. And we can look around today, and that's the other beautiful thing about natural law. You, you can tell your teenagers or your kids, once you've taught them uh, right order, you can say, look around at your peers. You know, look around at the world and see what happens when people choose things against um, the natural law, against God's created order. And they can see, they know that their, their peers are depressed, they're on medication, they're suicidal, they're broken. I mean, they're, they're cutting, they're, you know, acting out in so many ways. 
we can investigate this and see that's because things have not been used according to their nature, whether through their parents' actions or through their own. So, um, it, so it's, it's a great tool. It's a great teaching tool, and it's not difficult. That's the thing I want to stress. One thing uh, I just thought of based on what you were uh, saying is that so often we hear people say that, you know, a lot of the depression and despair in our world is due to the guilt and posed by people saying that, you know, you shouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. But really, through natural law, you can show that anything that you misuse ultimately has consequences. Absolutely. And, and one of the ways that that can be, you know, that argument that you mentioned can be disproven is even things like the transgender um, phenomenon. And we could, you know, we could go into that if you want. That's a whole issue. and a whole section in our book. But even in places where transgenderism, for example, has been accepted and, and, and really embraced for many decades, like somewhere like uh, Sweden or somewhere in the, you know, the Netherlands or wherever, those studies have come out that, that the suicide rates are still astronomically high for people who've gone through these transitions, and we're talking decades later, and we're talking they have no societal guilt. You know, no one is guilting them at all, and they're still... Uh, devastation that comes from those choices. So that's a kind of a straw man. It's not a real argument. And people like to say that in order to guilt Catholics, you know, to not speaking the truth and to not standing in the way of the sexual revolution. But it's simply, it's simply not, it's not true. Uh, I noticed that in the order of the book, uh, one of the topics that you start with is sex outside of marriage. Mm-hmm. And this has been widely accepted, not just by the secular culture, but even in people that go to church every Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you recommend in the book addressing this topic first from what the church teaches? And then how do you talk to young people about this? That's kind of the foundational, you know, once you, once you take sex, outside of the confines of marriage, which is a permanent, you know, which is a lifelong commitment, um, that's where you start to get all these other problems. So that's why we started it with that topic. Uh, Sex, the nature of sex itself, just by looking at um, human nature, obviously the design of the body, but the human nature and even how people react to sex, you know, nobody... Um, gets upset if their, uh, you know, sexual partner plays a game of Monopoly with another person. You know, they're not going to, you know, write songs about it or um, become distraught about it. Or but if, but if that person, again, outside the bonds of marriage, has sex with another person, it's so deep. Even in a person who's not made a commitment, not made a marriage commitment to someone. We know then that that act has, is something more than recreational because people who don't even believe in marriage get very um, distraught, you know, for example, if, if someone is quote unquote, you know, cheating on them sexually. Something about sex is different from everything else. And we know that it is something that has a permanent lifelong consequence because it can produce a child. So we can, we can you know, present it that way as well to children. Um, again, depending on their age, we would go into it differently. But if we examine what sex is, we see that it, 
taken outside of the context of a committed lifelong relationship, there's a lot of problems that come. And all those problems then lead to other problems. So, so we start there, and we, and we go from there. If you're dealing with really young kids, how would you approach this topic, uh, especially in a family where you have, say, an older sibling that's moved out and they're living with someone or um, just hearing about, you know, families uh, that have this happen? Right, and it's more and more common. Um, so you can, you never want to disturb the innocence or the what's called the latency period of small children, and the church teaches that. In um, there's a great document called "The Truth and Meaning of Human Sexuality" that you can all look up online and print it out. It's from 1995, and you never want to introduce the topic of sex explicitly to anyone pre-puberty if you don't have to. I mean, sometimes your hand is forced because they come to you or someone has exposed a child to to the details. But in general, if they see that, you know, older sister so-and-so or aunt so-and-so is unmarried and is having a baby, and you really don't want to get into how that happened, because up until now, hopefully you've taught that babies come with, you know, after married mommies and daddies, um, you know, God, God, helps them to make a baby and isn't that beautiful and and we do it in the right order we do we teach that marriage comes first and then babies but if they see that and then they wonder well how can that person be having a baby they're not married you could say something very um uh inexplicit but very clear which is something like well men and women can make babies but they're supposed to wait until they're married to make them and they're supposed to love their babies forever and have this wonderful family that will always be there for them with a mommy and the daddy in the home. And that's why God wanted it to be that way, because that's how people will be happy. That's how the children will be happy, and that's how the parents will be happy. But sometimes people don't know God, or they don't know what God wants of them, and so they're confused, and they, um, you know, they, they do make babies, as, as, as men and women can do, but they do that without being married. And that kind of will satisfy a young child. Most of them are not going to say, well, I need more details. You know, I need more details on how that happens. I mean, if they do, then you'll have to, you know, kind of finesse that situation. But um, for the most part, just the idea that they know that men and, men and women can make babies, but they're supposed to be married before they do that. That is a way to, um, to, to put the framework in place for a young child. Again, we're talking to Layla Miller, the co-author with Trent Horn of the book Made This Way, How to Prepare Kids to Face Today's Tough Moral Issues. And we're talking about one of the tough moral issues, uh, basically cohabitation, sex outside of marriage. Uh, With older kids, how do you approach this? Yeah, well, it's uh, with the teenagers, because now they're at an age where they could actually be having sex outside of marriage. They could actually be producing children outside of a marriage so their bodies can do the things that they're not supposed to be doing until they're married. Um, so you want to appeal, again, to their innate um, sense of uh, who God made them to be. For example, for the boys, a great way to appeal to boys is to appear to the, appeal to their heroism and to their innate and they're really hardwired to be um, to be heroes, to be um, noble. 
And so, you know, we have always told our boys, for example, my husband and I, you know, imagine, I mean, you are responsible for all the girls you meet. You're responsible for, for making sure that you're the protector of every girl that you meet. And um, one day you want to be a good husband, but in the meantime, if, if you were to sin, you know, if you were to use a girl, because anytime you're going to have sex with a girl before marriage, you're using her, whether or not she agrees to it or not, she may consent to that, it doesn't matter. You're still using her because you're not committing to her for life. Um, you, you put her, not only do you put her soul in peril, you really, you know, and you'll be accountable for that, but you could, you could get her pregnant and if you get her pregnant, um, any number of things could happen. Number one, she could have your baby, and then you'll um, never uh, necessarily be able to raise that child because she may go off and marry someone else or have other boyfriends in and out. Number two, she could abort your child, and you would have no say in that. You know, so I, I kind of, you know, you use these natural law consequences as well. As this is what happens if you if you abdicate your role as the hero, as the protector of women, then all these bad things can happen, and you don't want that because you want to be the guy who's the good guy. So that really kind of appeals to their nature, their better nature. Um, to the girls, to the teen girls, no girl wants to be used. Every girl who is having sex with a guy or wants to have sex with a guy is hoping that he will love her forever and be her, um, you know, her one and only and that she will be cherished. Well, you need to say, you know, that's why people feel ashamed. That's why your you know, girlfriends, if they're young and they have sex with these, these men that aren't their, their uh, husbands, they feel terrible after. They cry. You know, they're, they're not happy. Um, you want to be cherished, and so you want to make sure that the guy you uh, give yourself to is one that has already committed to you for life because then you'll never have that regret. You'll never have that sorrow, and that's what you're made for anyway. You want to be cherished. So you kind of appeal to, you know, the female nature, the male nature, and you say that's how we're designed, and that's why there's so much misery around the misuse of sexuality, and you find all this heartbreak and disease and, um, you know, abortion and just it's so much sadness. And, and they kind of don't, they, they understand that. You know, again, you need to lay those foundations when they're young, and you need to make sure they trust you as a parent when, you're, when they're still small, and they will trust you as they get older. The, uh, this brings up something that... Uh we tend to look at flawed in our culture, and this is the idea that young people are able to consent to sex mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as if they knew what the actual consequences were. Right. And yet so often they're living in a dream world that is presented by the papers and movies and things like this, not realizing the actual consequences of that consent, how bad they're going to feel afterwards how guilty right. they're going to feel afterwards, and how used they're going, they're going to feel afterwards. And that's male and female. Yes. And, and the adults in their lives have largely abdicated their roles. So the teachers have, have stopped saying those things. The teachers say, oh, it's just, a, it's just a thing you do. It feels good. You know, just make sure you use a condom. Um, TV, movies, it all presupposes that, that teenagers are supposed to feel good by having sex. And so the adults have abdicated their role, and the parents need to make sure that at least we're in place when no one else is, because honestly, the kids will still listen to the parents, even though, you know, we're mocked, we're laughed at, oh, parents have no authority, they have no sway with these kids. Well, 
build up that relationship from the time they're small, and yes, they will respect you. Now, if you've abdicated your role by the time you know they're in elementary school because you're too afraid of them or you're too afraid of being socially shamed by their uh, the other parents at the school, then yeah, they might not listen to you anymore because they're just going to go off and they don't. You know, you've lost all your credibility. But start young and make sure that you stay the authority of your children because God gave you that authority. They look up to you, believe me, more than they will look up to anyone else as long as you have not completely, um, you know, abdicated your role. So very important that those consequences are explained to them by the parent. Well, that really brings up an important issue that, you know, this doesn't start when your kids start watching television. This begins when they're born that you become a trusted source of information for the kids, that even, you know, all of us are going to make mistakes, but that the kids know that you are going to tell them the truth and that you're telling them the information as you have it. This is crucial, and I say this all the time, and I notice the fear that parents have, Catholic parents, good Catholic parents, have so much fear of their own children, and they fear what they're going to say, they don't know how to say it. And so some, in some cases, I've heard of parents, friends of mine, who have said that their kids have gone all the way up and even into college, and they never had these talks with their children because they just didn't know what to say. And that is unacceptable. We have an obligation, we have a duty before God to do this, because this is our job. It's kind of like our only job is to form up these children and to educate them correctly uh, in the things that matter. And so um, when they're small, every child thinks their parent is the whole, wo- the whole world, the whole world. They'll believe you before they'll believe anyone else. If, don't squander that. Be honest with them always. You know, tell them the truth when they ask a question. Always, again, age-appropriate. But never, um, you know, if they come to you with a question, you never want to mock them or say, you know, look shocked, like, oh, I can't believe you'd come to me with that question, or never shame them. Always have a, a countenance of peace. And even if you have to act, you know, I always say, be an actor if you have to. You know, if, you, if you're dying inside, because I had, for example, I had a sixth grader who came up to me once who, who asked me what a term meant and it was something that, you know, even I, who grew up in the, in the 80s, you know, would have never heard in sixth grade. And some people might just have their face just look like horrified. I just completely kept normal. And I just said, oh, okay, well, who'd you hear that from? Um, you know, what was the context? And then I, when we figured that out, then I, I gave him the information he needed, which was, you know, I tried to downplay it as much as possible, but I was very honest with him. And then um, I knew, and he was satisfied with the answer, and I knew, and it's happened because I've raised a lot of kids, they come back to you the next time with the question. They're not going to go to their peers if they get an honest and um, uh, non-shaming answer from their parent because they really want the answer from you. They don't want to get it on the Internet or from their peers. They would like their parents to be able to tell them the truth. So um, so build up that rapport, be honest with them, and don't ever have anything off limits that they can't come to you and ask you, because then they will start to turn to other people. Uh, the next topic in the book, and again, we're talking to Layla Miller, the co-author with Trent Horn of Made This Way, How to Prepare Kids to Face Today's Tough Moral Issues. And one of the toughest is same-sex relationships. And again, uh, church teaching is very much relying on natural law more than anything else in uh, explaining why this really 
doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And so how do you approach that topic with kids? Yeah, I had, um, like I said, my, my first half of my kids were raised before the Internet in the 90s, and they didn't have it all, all over every, you know, corner and in schools and libraries. So it didn't even ha- it didn't even come up. You know, I wasn't even a- I was able to shield them from all of that discussion. The younger kids that I'm raising up now, um, I had my youngest child was in kindergarten. He's a third grader now, so it was just a few years ago. He was in kindergarten. He came home, and he said to me uh, out of the blue, "Hey, mom, you know, girls can marry girls." And I just mm. so again, you know, back to calm. You know, don't yes. freak out or anything. Oh, honey, you know, well, well, where did you hear that? Oh, well, Katie told me. Oh, you know what? Katie's a really sweet girl, but she's wrong. And then I was able to go into um, the idea that, again, didn't want to get explicit with the kindergartner, but I was able to say, isn't it sad any time that a child doesn't have a mommy or a daddy? Because God wants each of us to have a mommy and a daddy. And in fact, he gives each of us a mommy and a daddy. And it's always a tragedy if you don't have either your mommy growing up or your daddy growing up. And he completely understood that because, you know, that's something, again, that little kids from the time they're one and two and three would would be something we show them and teach them and they would know from our example and from their, you know, catechesis and all that and just the natural law. Um, but he he was like, oh, right. And then, you know, he he really wasn't – and I said, it's, it's sad. If you hear someone that says otherwise, they're either very confused – Again, or they don't know how God made things, and they don't understand, or they don't understand why it's so important that daddies are involved in 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 their children's lives, and that mommies and daddies are married, and um, and then you know he might have said something like, well, but the law, you know, the law says, you know, because I guess it's legal, you know, you can go and get married if you're two girls. Well, the law has been wrong about a lot of different things, and you know, for example, did you know that the law once said that that black people could be slaves? You know, they could be owned by other people. Isn't that wrong? But the law said that, so the law sometimes goes against what we know is true and right, and in this case, that's happening as well because we know how important it is. Again, we didn't, without getting into any of the sexual issues, we know how important it is for a mommy um, and a daddy to be in, in, the, in the child's life, you know, married in the home. So he was fine with that. He hasn't asked me a question since. It's been an actual, you know, it, it, it's not that complicated if you start young and make sure that they see the simple picture of how God created things. Um, and, and just to have that confidence not to be scared of those conversations, not to go looking for them, obviously, but when they come to you, God gives you the grace to have that conversation. And, and, and that's why we wrote the book, too, because we have a lot of examples of how to do this. Um, and it, it works. It, it's, it, it works because it's true. Truth is very powerful and comes with graces attached. One of the challenges with tackling this particular topic is that single family uh, single parent homes are so prevalent in our culture that parents feel uncomfortable emphasizing that the proper state of family should be a mom a dad with kids because you feel unkind to single parent families any suggestions on how you would tackle both sides of this? Mm-hmm. Well, I note, and I, I note this a lot lately, that any objection, it's almost, um, there's a subtle um, 
a subtle way of silencing the church and her teachings. And the subtle way is is that it appears to be mean. You know, it, it appears to be unkind. And so that if you even start to say, well, you know, God had a plan, and, and this plan is what is best, and this plan is, is beautiful. And um, if the arguments, the pushback starts to come back, that if it boils down to, oh, that's mean, you're not nice make that be like an antenna in your head, you know, a little light going off going, okay, I'm being shamed. I'm being shamed for speaking the truth. Even if I'm speaking it in the nicest, kindest, most loving way, something, you know, there's a force trying to tell me to, to be quiet about the truth. And that's how we got in this mess because, you know, we're supposed to just kind of go along and not be mean and let everybody, but that doesn't in the long run help anyone. So it's funny because the single moms that I know, and I know a lot of single moms, and they're very heroic, and they would be the first to tell you, this is the hardest thing in the world, and they wouldn't want it to be this way. (laughs) So we always forget that side, which is, you know, this is not something they would wish on other people. They wish they had the husband in the home again, or they wish they had had a father to help raising the child. They wish it had gone that way because of how difficult it is to do something with one arm tied behind your back, for example. Um, Yes, people can go through life with amputated limbs. Does that mean that we say this is how God, you know, God's perfect created order was that people would be limbless or blind or no, you know, we can adapt to tragedy and to misfortune but it doesn't mean we should celebrate and say, isn't it great that we're now amputating the legs of half the people in you know, America? No. <laughs> you know, so we wouldn't say that about anything else other than these things that touch on sexuality. And that's another antenna. Just remember, every time it's mean, terrible, whatever, a lot of times it's because it's based on people not being able to be sexually free to do whatever they want. And that's when people will stop you. But but that's what is destroying the family right now. Marriage and family is being destroyed by the sexual revolution and all the fruits of the sexual revolution. And yet we're not allowed to talk about the fact that there is devastation that comes from those violations of, of the truth. Also, I think uh, this goes along with something Matthew Kelly often says, that we've lost our story. And that is mm-hmm. that the Catholic Church spends more time and effort on helping people in these sort of situations than any other organization on the planet. It's not Absolutely. that we dismiss single parents. Right. We're helping them. What we're saying is that this is not the optimal way of doing it. Mm-hmm. And everyone involved would agree with that, except, as you mentioned, that when it comes to sex, we want to be able to do whatever we want to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there are forces in the secular world, too, and some of them have seeped into the Church, which really do want to change the teachings of the Church, and really do um, not want marriage and family to be stable, to be, um, you know, the nuclear family, you know, mother, father, uh, creating children, raising them up. There are people who really don't want that to happen. I mean, ultimately, you know, that comes from the devil, because he he wants to ruin all of God's created order and his plan, even from the the garden, we see that. But so when we see that it's an an ideological or even, um, you know, a, a real activist position, we just have to say, you know what? We love the people who who are have these wrong ideas. We're not gonna. We don't want any harm to come to anyone, and we want to love them. But we are also still going to tell our truth. 
So they can argue for their point, you know, in in the culture, and there's culture warriors who who really hate the idea of a permanent marriage and 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 male female and and all that. But that doesn't mean we are to be quiet. In fact, we have the antidote to much of the misery that's out there. And so um, it's our obligation, again, to speak the good news. The good news is about virtue and about um, the right order of how to live our lives so that we can flourish as human beings as, as, as God intended us to. And if we're muzzled because we feel bad, because we're shamed, you know, people are shaming us constantly, um, then the evil one wins. I mean, it, we, can't, we can't keep doing that because we're, we're devolving. You know, it's getting worse and worse and worse. Um, so we really need to to be, do we really believe the good news? You know, we really need to be in prayer about that. Like how, how much am I willing to be socially shamed for Christ? And I think that's an important point you raised that there are people even in the church that suffering from a false sense of charity mm-hmm. want to advocate changing some of the church's teaching because they think it would be kinder mm-hmm. and we need to be able to state that there is a reason the church teaches what the church teaches. And natural law, again, is a perfectly good method of doing so. Mm-hmm. That, you know, there is a reason why the church teaches, and changing the teaching doesn't change reality. Right. There, there's a question of, is it, it, there's this false compassion, and, and we want to be compassionate. We should be compassionate, but we want to be compassionate in the right ways. And uh, unfortunately, sometimes this compassion, we, even if we call it compassion, it, it might be more that there is a, a tad bit of cowardice that comes in, and um, and we don't want to we don't want to say that. Uh, but 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 even in the document again from the Pontifical Council for the Family, the Truth and Meaning of Human Sexuality, it reminds us, and, and this is a quote: um, Parents will not let cowardice or convenience hinder their work of educating their children. So. We we aren't responsible. I mean, we are obviously our brother's keeper, but our first charge as parents is our own children. So we can't placate and make everybody else out there happy, but we should and we must form our own children for eternity and for being citizens of the world that can actually speak a truth that the world desperately wants to hear, even if it's fighting against it. So it is very compassionate to, to be lovingly speaking the truth and not to worry if people are going to throw stones at you and tell you you're terribly mean and horrible and look how mean you are. And, you know, I, I get that all the time. You're so mean. You're so mean. Well, no, I love you. I'll eat lunch with you. I'll sit. I'll hug you. Let's talk. Let's do Let's be friends. Let's do But I cannot compromise on what God created and how he created it because it's best for everyone. It's best for you. It's best for your family, your children, and your happiness, and your eternity. So it, 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 we got to be, be courageous and not, and not cowardly in those, in those respects and, and make that discernment. Again, we're talking with Layla Miller, the co-author of the book Made This Way, How to Prepare Kids to Face Today's Tough Moral Issues. And you all tackle another one of these complicated issues Divorce. This is another one of these things. How do we talk about this in a culture where reportedly 50% of all marriages end in divorce? Mm-hmm. And this one is near and dear to my heart. And, and I, so excuse me if I get a little bit, you know, emotional about this one. I, and, and it's not near and dear to my heart because I've experienced it because I have not, I have not experienced divorce myself. My parents are not divorced. I've been married 29 years. Um, 
but about two and a half years ago, kind of on a whim, I, I wrote, I, I, I edited a book, uh, 70 Now Adult Children of Divorce Speak. It's actually called Primal Loss, The Now Adult Children of Divorce Speak. Um, self-published book actually went on to be endorsed by Cardinal Sarah, which is just crazy for a self-published book and, and my bishop and, and others. And it's, it's caused quite a stir because it's the voices of the children of divorce who are now adults. And I didn't know anything about the walking wounded all around me. For 50 years, I just thought everything was pretty fine because, you know, everybody gets used to divorce and the kids get used to When I realized the devastation that does not go away and that all of these children of divorce don't talk about it and they don't even know that other people feel like they do. I had one 80-some-year-old woman, believe it or not, I did an EWTN show, and I had this email from this woman who's in her 80s, and she said, I thought I was the only person who felt this way about the shattering of her family 60 years earlier uh, or more. I mean, it was a long time ago. And I thought, that's, that's being confirmed to me every day when I get these emails and these um, you know, messages. And what the church and what Christ said about divorce and the permanence of marriage is for our good. And so when we've gotten into the secular thinking, well, you know what, you're just, you need to be happy. Everybody just kind of needs to be happy. We're leaving a wake of destruction. You know, the ripple effect is so huge to communities, to parishes, to, and we're not talking about it. Nobody wants to talk about it. Um, We all just want to move on. And uh, so now it's become really near and dear to me that what Christ said and when he forbade divorce, and when it says in Malachi, you know, God hates divorce, it's for a reason. It's for a reason. If you can shatter someone's foundation, um, you can get the family. You can get the kids. They'll leave the faith. Uh, you know, the, the, the parents um, move on to the next romance. Uh, oftentimes their faith is watered down. You get abandoned spouses. If you look in the catechism, and again, you'll have to shut me up here because I'll go on forever about this, but if you look in the catechism under divorce, it talks about divorce as a contagion. It talks about it as a plague. It says that it shatters the um, innocent, abandoned spouse. It, it traumatizes the children, and it's not what Christ intended. And, and it, it goes on and on about it, and, and we never look at that. We never look at it because it's just one of those things we just know too many fellow Catholics who are divorced, and we don't want to rock any boats, and we may be divorced ourselves, and we don't want to think about what it may have done to the kids. You know, they're going to be fine, and... But it's a huge part of the sexual revolution, and we have to look at it. So, yeah, so we did a whole chat. we did a whole section on that. <laughs> but it's a big it's a big deal. Well, I think that uh, together with the the next topic that you all cover in the book, contraception, these are the mm-hmm. two biggies that began this downhill slide in breaking up the family. And I think this is why it's important to address both of these topics with young kids early, age-appropriate language, of course, so they understand, even though it's prevalent, that this is not the way God intended it to be. Yes, and I always take it back. Something that really distilled it down for me and made it very simple, and it could be simple to teach your, your children as well, um, is I went back to the garden and I thought, what were the, what were the things that God created with human beings? He, there were three things in my mind. I, uh, this is the way I think of it. He created life to begin with, right? So right. he created life, human life. He created marriage, because the first human relational thing he ever created was a married relationship, Adam and Eve. And he created male and female. So th- those are the way he created us. Life, 
marriage, and male and female. If you look in the culture today, the, the evil one has obliterated, with our help, all of those things. He's, he's obliterated uh, you know, the, the goods of marriage, first of all, because what, what is marriage? Permanent? Marriage is permanent. Well, we got rid of that with, with divorce, right? Uh, marriage is uh, procreative. Well, we got rid of that with contraception. And uh, marriage is a conjugal union. It's male and female. Well, we've gotten rid of that now with gay marriage. And now we're even getting to getting rid of the nature of male and female itself, the very nature with this whole transgender thing. So every part of, you know, and of course life we got rid of with abortion. So, you know, we've, we've gotten rid of male, female, gotten rid of marriage, and we've gotten rid of life. So all those things that God created in the garden, you would expect that the evil one would be targeting. And he's done a great job with our permission in our society, in Western, you know, Christian society, post-Christian society. So, that's a, a way to, you know, to, for the little ones or, you know, as they approach middle school or whatever, because some of those you may not want to start thinking about transgenderism, although that's in their face too. But those are the things that, that would be targeted, and they are. So you can say that's why divorce. We, you know, we can't say that's ever good. You know, we, and, and Jesus doesn't say it's good. We can't say that abortion is good. We can't say that contraception is good. We can't say that uh, transgenderism or gay marriage is good. It contradicts everything God created for humanity, for human beings, from the very beginning. So, um, you know, distill it down. Again, you know, be discerning in these, in these issues. You're not going to believe this, but we are out of time I want to thank you very much uh, for doing this interview. Uh, again, the, the book is Made This Way, How to Prepare Kids to Face Today's Tough and Moral Issues, and I recommend all our listeners get it. In the meantime, if you're gauging how to share your time, talent, and treasure with the people of God, always round up. Since you-